If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Kate O'Connor. Kate's got a dress sergeant showing background. She's competed to national level. Kate's also been a school teacher, but she's got a special interest that we're going to talk to her about today. It's a program development of body awareness riding to assist rider with better horse control through personal body control. But meanwhile, we'll introduce Kate. How are you, Kate? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Kate, what's your favourite quote? We normally start people off, so we'll get the ball rolling and get you to talk about your quote. Yep. Mine is a little thing that I came up with through teaching, and we must at all times remember poor performance from our horse is not an equine conspiracy, but rather a reflection of our ability to encourage and enlighten the horse to understand our bizarre requests of it. And I think it's really important. Often when we start people out with riding, they start out with the phrase, my horse won't do this, my horse won't do that. Mm -hmm. And I like to turn their language around to, I can't get the horse to do what I want it to. And it's a very subtle difference, Mm -hmm. but it's quite important because Mm -hmm. generally speaking, horses are very helpful. They want to try and do what we want them to, but if they don't understand it, they don't. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, you know, take some responsibility. It's not just the horse that won't do it. Yeah. No, that's right. I like the way you said about the bizarre requests of it, you know, and I think, you know, what we ask horses to do really is bizarre. You know, if we were asked to do the same thing, we would say this is bizarre, yeah. I always think horses are smart if they won't go on horse floats, just saying I wouldn't be forced by aliens on, into a telephone booth. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that, we ask them an extraordinary amount of stuff and to yeah. tolerate an extraordinary amount of equipment yeah. without really being able to explain to them the whys and wherefores. Yes, yes. Now, Kate, I want to take you back. And I know that you had a farmer near you who helped you a bit when you were a child, but what was your first actual memory of having horses or having anything at all to do with horses? It's actually quite funny. We had horses on properties around us but didn't have our own initially. Mm -hmm. And my mum, I think I was in preschool, and my mum took me to a friend's house and sat me bareback on the back of a horse and I was led about. And my strongest memory of that is, oh, I've got horse hair in my undies. (laughs) (laughs) But... I was addicted from that day forward and I began riding in primary school and just continued Mm -hmm. forever, really. Mm -hmm. We always had horses on properties beside us or near us and I was always able to ride horses. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Very fortunate childhood, actually. Many days spent with friends barebacking around properties, literally deciding whose mum's fridge was the best stocked to stop at lunchtime. (laughs) <laughs> and which dams were the best to swim the horses in. Or what many people dream of, I think, I was mm-hmm. able to live as a child. Yeah, yeah. And then, fortunately for me, literally down the road in one direction, Bert Hartog gave regular lessons, and up the other direction, 
Sandra Pearson Adams was giving lessons. So I was exposed to some very good quality teaching. Yeah. As yep, well as yep. having these wonderful mentors around me who were good horse people. And yes. that brings up Len Bentfer, who was one of our nearby neighbours. Mm-hmm. And I think he actually started me looking at things from a different perspective in what he said about my then Appaloosa horse that okay, my parents bought okay. me. Just, just tell mm. us a bit about that story. Len was a very interesting old character. He grew up as a boy on a property that grew market vegetables mm-hmm. and their horses worked. They had harness horses that towed the cart to the markets and stuff like that. And Len's experience was very practical with horses. He was also a blacksmith and a wonderful old character in the area where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember him looking at my horse over the fence one day and quite laconically saying, that'll be a good walking horse. <laughs> and I didn't understand what he meant. Mm. And I delved into what he meant. And he was talking about the conformation of the horse and the length of its pastons and all of these interesting things that nobody had ever really explained to me as mm-hmm. a child before. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting conversation about how gates were related to confirmation and all of that sort of thing. And Len sort of would never offer his opinion strongly, but if you were to ask him about something, he would always have interesting assistance for you, Mm, you know, with mm. fitting saddles or finding shoes that were right for your horse or whatever it was that you needed help with. The other wonderful influences in my life as a kid were a lady called Wilma Hopwood, who had an Arabian stud not far from us, Mm -hmm. and she allowed me to ride her Arabians, which was amazingly wonderful. Through her, I met a fella called John Chatterton, who's quite a well-known horseman. Yep, yep. And then I also rode a lot with a lady called Wendy Tidbold from South East Queensland as well, and she's well-known to be a, a leading light in the side saddle world. And I borrowed a side saddle off her and was fortunate enough to ride the side saddle in the final day of the Brisbane Loop in 88 around the um, National Trail. Mm-hmm. So I've just been very lucky to have people around me who've supported what yep. I've done with horses. Yep. My yep. parents, my father can ride, but not fabulously. My mother got on a horse once, rode over to a friend's house and got off again. <laughs> but aside from that, there's not a strong background in my family of riding. It certainly comes much more from our neighbours and friends. Yep. who supported me. Mm. Yep, yep. When did you earn your first dollar with horses? You know, what were you doing? What was, you know, because you've come from school to teaching. I'm just wondering if you were actually working with horses while you are at school or, you know, while you are at uni or it came later or how did that work out? <laughs> That's actually quite cute. Um, Sandra Pearson Adams was the teacher of our school equestrian team mm-hmm. when I was in high school and I used to ride from our because we didn't have a horse float unless we borrowed one. I used to ride from our property to Pine Lodge where mm-hmm. she taught out of in Queensland. Yep. And I used to leave my horse there in the morning and then hop on the bus and go to school and then come back with the kids from the equestrian team and we'd all ride at that place. Some kids rode school horses and those of us lucky enough to have our own horses rode our own horses in those lessons. And towards the end of that, Sandra was putting together what is now the EA coaching qualification with Sue Holden Brown, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she sort of was encouraging quite a few of us to take that on as a career, wherein my parents went, we'll support you to do teacher training, but probably not to do horse riding training because 
you can't really make a proper living out of that. Um, Yeah, little little did they know, but yeah. They're probably right for the time that that happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I went on to do teacher training and became a school teacher, but very quickly got a job at a riding school here in Canberra, moving from Queensland to Mm, come down mm. here. So I didn't actually end up in the classroom as a permanent teacher for much more than 12 months. Yes. But all through university and the end of high school, I was riding horses for other people and teaching other kids to ride and things like that. Yes. And I sort of seemed to attract horses. Um, I started with one and then sort of others appeared on our property for various reasons, Mm. much to the disgust of my father. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I've just sort of always been quite passionate about it. And recently we were visiting my parents and my father said, I don't think you've ever forgotten a single thing you've been told about horses in your life. I think the the passion's always been there since that first day as a little kid being sat up on top of an Arabian, yeah. So if someone's going to work with horses now, you know, they want to have a career with horses, what do you think are the core skills or character traits for them to start with? I think you need a lot of patience Mm -hmm. with the horses and with horse people that you work for. A lot of time the professionals you can get jobs with are under the pump to complete their day's work and don't have a great deal of time to sit down and explain every move they make to people working for them. Mm -hmm. And I think being in that environment is a really positive thing. I was very fortunate that I spent a lot of time with Wendy going to shows and stuff like that, and she took the time to explain things to me. But I think now young people don't get such great opportunities. I think finding a mentor person who's maybe running a show stable or a a performance stable where you can work for a while is a really great opportunity for Mm -hmm. young people starting Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And I think getting some sort of horse industry qualification is probably worthwhile as well. Sure. I don't think there's a particular stream that creates anything better than any other one. I think that's usually down to the individual's personal skills and abilities. I wouldn't want to sit there and say, oh, this course is better than that course or anything like that to create people. I think it's the amount of passion the individual person has for it. Mm, And I mm. think people need to understand that horses is not a nine-to-five Monday to Friday job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of young people would like to do all the glory stuff but none of the hard work. Mm, mm. It's very glamorous. It sounds very glamorous working, you know, with horses. It sounds good. There's a lot of manure picking up before you get to the glamorous (laughs) bit. I think we need to look at it a bit like a pyramid and the work on the ground needs to be the base of that pyramid, whether it's mucking out stables, grooming horses, doing all the everyday today, keeping everything clean, organised, that sort of thing, managing what you're doing or remembering to order your feet on time, all of those things. The next part of that is the training of the horse. You've got to spend hours sitting on it or training it on the ground, depending on what you're doing. And then the very peak of that pyramid with a very small amount of time is the bit where you get to show off all the hard work. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly from a showing perspective, that's a heck of a lot of work for your very short time in the ring showing off your skills. Yep. And I think a lot of young people think that pyramid's the other way around. Yes, yes. You know, and I find it quite annoying for particularly for clients who've worked extremely hard to develop their horses and their own skills when people go, oh, she's only doing well because she's got a push-button horse. Mm. And I like to say to them, well, she's actually installed most of those buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's really important. 
you know. I mean, some children do have a horse that's been bought for them that's appropriate and knows everything, and that's great when you're starting out. But when you know somebody's worked hard to develop a horse from a young age and train it and so on and then go out and enjoy the the fruits of their labour, mm. it's not very nice when you hear that somebody said, oh, they've just got to push button more. Mm, 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 for sure. For sure. Because it's all very hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Even if you've got a push-button horse, you've got to be able to maintain your position, stay still enough, give subtle aids. You know, there's still a lot of all riding of in that. Yes, yeah. there is. And yeah. a lot of care for that animal. If it's mm. not in good nutrition and it doesn't have its teeth and feet done regularly and it's not properly kept with its worming routine, mm. it's not going to perform as well as it Of course. You know? Mm. What do you think is the best thing about being in the horse industry? I love the flexibility for my life. Mm -hmm. I can arrange things to fit around the other stuff I do as a mother and I can arrange my life a bit more organised than I could when I was school teaching. I like being my own boss. I Mm -hmm. really quite enjoy that. Mm. I don't think everybody in the equine industry can be their own boss, but I'm fortunate enough to have the skills that I can teach enough people that I am my own boss. Yep. I think too I just love hanging out with the horses even if it is going around the paddock with a bag and chipping out weeds or whatever else you need yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to run your own small equine business, we can't afford to pay somebody to do that job. <laughs> so, And just, you know, having my horses trail around after me is really oh, lovely. Exactly, when I'm doing exactly. Like that. You know, just being in that situation and hanging out mm. with the horses. Hanging out <laughs> with the horses, yeah, is really quite grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I love being able to support people as they begin their journey and start their journey with horses. And I love passing them on to coaches beyond my skills and going, you've really got what you can from me. Move on. Go find somebody better and more experienced that can give you more stuff. I think that's wonderful when I get people to that point because it means that I've done a good job because they're ready to learn more. Yeah. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right. Now, you've talked about people who've influenced you. Have you had a horse who's influenced you, helped you in the career? Has it been just one or many, or how has that worked? I'm one of those really, really lucky riders who've had several good horses in their career. Mm-hmm. You hear people talk about the horse that made them. I was really lucky as a child. My parents bought me a horse called Yukon Gold. He was an Appaloosa quarter horse that had been trained for Western. And that horse did everything. Wendy and I taught him to go side saddle. He did dressage. He did Western shows. I would take him to a horse show and ride the open hack classes one day, change his gear and do Western pleasure the next day. He mm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, as a kid, I had no idea how amazing he was. My parents bought him for me as a young horse. He was only four, and he must have had one of the best brains that any horse I've ever owned has had and just tolerated an enormous amount of mistakes and made his way through my very ordinary riding <laughs> and my searching for a good coach and so on. I was really fortunate to have mm-hmm. that horse. Mm-hmm. I was also, when I moved to Canberra, he was getting a bit old and I bought a purebred Arabian and broke her in and rode her and she took me through my level one training. I also bought a Arabian warm blood mare who was quite a tricky beast 
And she taught me the skills the other two good horses didn't. <laughs> yep. How to stay on a buck. Yep. Um, <laughs> how to survive with something that isn't the same when it gets out of bed every morning. <laughs> and uh, the skills I got from her were really good as well. So I've been a really lucky rider, actually, in, those, in that sense. Yeah. And I'm yeah. currently riding an absolutely adorable Andalusian mare that was gifted to me by clients because mm-hmm. they were moving on to bigger horses and they let me have Malta. Wonderful. And that's wonderful because mm-hmm. she's one of those horses that I can just climb on when I need to. And as a mum, I don't get time every day to ride my horse. Yep, yep. So some days she sits in the paddock and that's okay for her. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've been really lucky in that sense, that I've had different experiences with different horses. And I think along the same time, when I had Yukon Gold, the Appaloosa, the coaches I had suited that horse. Yes. And then when I had the purebred Arabian mare, I was training with a fellow called Shane Ackley from Sydney, and he knew lots about Arabians. Mm -hmm. So it was sort of the right person for the right horse at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, I was really fortunate with that as well. Mm. Good. Good. What do you think your proudest moment's been? Um, probably the first ride I had on the first horse I broke in myself. Okay. Just okay. being able to ride properly, going, okay, I've started this horse, I've done this properly. Look, I've won a lot of ribbons at a lot of shows, but really they're just the end point of the journey, mm-hmm. and I actually enjoy the journey probably more than the results. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. Yes, yes, yeah. de- definitely, definitely. Mm. So thinking about where you are now, though, if you've got a story about your biggest challenge? Being a parent and a rider is quite hard work. Um, look, I think at the moment one of my big challenges is finding enough time to do as much horse stuff as I want to do. I have had children and that has definitely affected my confidence on the back of horses. And so because of that, I've been challenged in my own riding to really work at the way I use my body on horses Mm -hmm. so that I can maybe, um, yeah, I know I'm a little nervous about this, which I've never been in the past. But a lovely mentor of mine, Sue Walker, laughed at me when I told her I was pregnant and said, (laughs) that'll change the way you ride. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe her until I had the babies and then went, oh, look at that, she's right. (laughs) (laughs) There is quite a difference in the way I approach my riding now. What sort of message would you give out to people then that have ridden quite actively and then had kids and, you know, want to ride because you've kept riding? What message would you give them? You know, about the time when you start riding again. I think what horse riders do too much is they beat themselves up. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it well enough. Particularly dressage riders seem to be like that. I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not doing a good job. I'm letting the horse down, all of those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And I think really we're not letting anybody down if we're not doing what we used to do except ourselves. Yep. So I think what people need to do is give themselves a bit of a break. And I've certainly done that. Not a break as in stop riding, a break as in give myself a break. It's okay if I don't ride my horse at the level I used to ride it at. It's okay to back off a level and just enjoy some trail riding and go, oh, I've got one leg each side of a horse, or in my case, both legs one side if I'm having a side (laughs) saddle ride. You know, it doesn't matter if you do that, you know? And I think that's sort of the message Mm -hmm. to mums particularly 
with their writing is that it's okay not to be doing all the things you used to be able to do because you have more time taken up mm-hmm. with a child and so on. I mean, particularly when I was trying to look after a baby and ride, that was quite tricky. Arranging my husband to come to competition so I could breastfeed the baby in between tests was always fun. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> another whole aspect. And uh, people would just go past you at competitions and go, oh, yeah, been there, done that. And yep. I'm sure there's lots of people who have, but I yeah, don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. yeah so yeah. those sort of things yeah. might just add another layer to the challenges of Working with animals, I suppose. <laughs> what do they say mm, about work mm, with animals mm, and children? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and you end up working with both, yeah. So, yeah, I suppose that's sort of my... And, and, you know, if you want to keep riding at the level you've been riding at, don't let your children have horses. That's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. All right, tell me, you know, because you, you go out, to, um, you know, you're teaching and you go to competitions, what's a common fault that you see and how can it be fixed? And I'm not sure if you're going to relate this to the body awareness or, or not, but just tell me a bit about that. I often see riders having expectations of themselves and their horses at competitions that they don't have of themselves in lessons and in their training, and that creates tension in their body. Mm-hmm. So I often have clients who go, my horse is so calm when I take it to the grounds when there's nobody around, but when everything's happening, it's really tense. Mm. And I actually think a lot of times the horses are happier at the grounds when there are other horses there because they tend to prefer that. Mm. But the riders have a level of tension in their body because they're competing that they don't even recognise in themselves. So then the horse is going, okay, why does my human feel different? What's going on here? Maybe I should be alert to something. Mm -hmm. And then you end up in a cycle of tension where the horse gets upset or more reactive and then the rider gets more tense because their horse is behaving strangely and the horse goes, well, my rider's definitely got a problem. (laughs) And, you know, that cycle continues. I see that as a problem for people and that's why I've been working on this body awareness system Mm -hmm. to try and help people with that. I mean, I teach people who go, my horse is lovely out trail riding, but it hates the arena. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I go out riding with some trail riding and I go, well, probably because you ride completely differently when you head into an arena, you know, and your horse doesn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've sort of worked on this tension theory for people. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Yeah, just give us a a couple of insights into that, you know, where we can go into, you know, if you're happy to come back and talk about it a bit more, we can go into it in a bit more detail later. But just um, a couple of things or a couple of things that you notice so that... um, people can have just a little bit of understanding when you're talking about body awareness? Well, I think people carry tension in their body. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people I teach work at high-level jobs and stuff like that, and they bring with them to their horse riding the tensions of the day. So they might carry a crick in their neck or have pain in their lower back or whatever it is that they have, and then they expect their horse to manage their uneven or tense behaviour 
while they're riding. Mm -hmm. And we talk as coaches about having a correct upright position on a horse, you know, heel, hip, shoulder, and so on. But we don't talk about how to maintain that position enough while we're traveling and moving. What I look into is the level of tension the muscles need to hold where they meet with the horse or where they meet with the reins so that the horse feels the same level of contact all the time. So what I've done is I've gone, okay, I've had jumping lessons or flat lessons or whatever with people, and they've said, have more contact on the rein. How much more? How do we have that conversation about what level of pressure we have? So I've looked at a system of creating for everybody so that we talk about tension level number one, level two, level three. And it's a really simple thing to do with your hand that you can feel the muscle in your hand change its tightness. And then I can talk to people about, okay, you've got a lot of tension in your knees at the moment and your horse doesn't like it. Can you soften the muscles in your knees down to that tension level? Because we can talk about something being red or something being blue and you and I both know what blue and red is. But do you know how much more tension or less tension is? We don't have a good measure of that. So I've looked into ways of having a measurement of that so that we can talk about that. We can both feel the same thing and then I can ask the person to use their muscles in a different way to hopefully help their horse understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It does. And I think that yeah. will give people a bit of an insight into what you're doing there with that system. Yeah. Yeah. And so it means that once I've explained the feeling in your hand, and you do it by pinching your fingers together, if you put your finger of one hand where your thumb meets your hand on that hard bit of muscle, mm-hmm. and you put your forefinger and your thumb together, there's a level of tension in that piece of muscle. But then if you move your thumb up your fingers until it touches your little finger, you'll feel a whole lot more tension in that in that muscle just under your thumb. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about it like that. And I even get to the stage in lessons where I just stand there and hold my thumb to my finger up to them <laughs> and go, which one are you feeling? Yeah, And that yeah, works yeah. really well to help people create that less tension in their body Mm -hmm. and that means that horses aren't getting that escalated tension when they go into different circumstances and stuff like that. I'm also for some reason fortunate in that I can see as people ride with me where they're dropping their weight or where they're tightening something so I can say to them I really think the fact that you're grinding your back teeth together is creating extra tension for your horse. Can you try and not to do that? And for some reason, I can see that often when the rider's not even very aware of themselves doing it. I was going to say, because a rider grinding their teeth, that takes a certain amount of skill to be able to see that because sometimes people aren't even aware. Well, you can see the muscles in their cheeks tightening, but then it tightens them up in the neck. Mm. Often when people grind their teeth together, they tip their head slightly further forward Mm -hmm. and that actually weights the front of your body Mm. and that can cause problems for the horse. So, you know, our upright position is an upright position for a very good anatomical reason but if you don't balance that with the tension levels you can be in a beautiful upright position and extremely tense and mm-hmm. the horse won't work mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. you know yep. and different horses need different levels of tension from people to work effectively mm-hmm. and I mean I've had the opportunity of talking to like FEI level riders about that sort of thing and that's been a real benefit for me as well yep you know, yep. so I can talk to people who really trained horses to a high level and go, 
well, what do you think about this? And they've gone, yeah, well, there's definitely some legs on that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kate, have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners? Look, Sally Swift's great. Mm-hmm. I really like reading her stuff. Yep. I don't have a particular title. Uh, if you want to fall asleep, Eric F. Heberman's The Dressage Formula is a good one. Look, there's some really good information in that book, but I find it hard to read more than two or three pages at a time. Okay, yeah. But, yeah, the Sally Swift stuff's really good. Yep. I really enjoy that. You know, lots of people have written really good things about managing horses on the ground and and doing all of those things, and I think our body tension comes into it there as well. Mm-hmm. John Chatterton's actually written some really good stuff mm-hmm. as well. But, yeah, in terms of particular titles, I couldn't really name anything. Yeah. Look, I think that's enough and I think we've actually got, we've certainly got Sally's book. I don't know if we've got John's, but we'll have a look at that and um, yeah. and then the dressage formula as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the dressage formula is terribly dry, but the way the the anatomical stuff in it's really useful. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Good. All right. Kate, what are you looking forward to now? Actually, I'm looking forward to catching up on everything post the Canberra Royal this week. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm planning, I hope, to take my Andalusian mare to the Nationals in Queensland. Mm -hmm. Just more that it's fun to have a road trip and go away to a big show. I rode her at the last Andalusian Nationals and did quite well. So I'm hoping to do that. And I'm hoping to have my son more independent with his riding so that we can travel together to shows instead of me being the lady on the end of the line. Yes. yes. <laughs> at, at the moment, I have a six-year-old who I need a crowbar to remove from the saddle. <laughs> so, yeah, that's taking up quite a lot of my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got a good pony, though, so hopefully we can get him independent enough in the next year or so that I can sort of go, okay, mate, you go over there, I'll go over here. Good. We'll be right. Good. You know? yeah. 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 But that's a long, slow process, which is why I recommend people don't let their children ride. I was all for him learning to ride push bikes with his father <laughs> and he had other ideas. <laughs> mm, that's good. So, yeah, I'm quite tied down with that at the minute. <laughs> but we did have fun at the Royal together. Good. So good. I didn't get to show my horse, but he got to show his horse. Good. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's always next year, yeah. There's always next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he tells me we're doing parent-child rider. I don't think we'll quite be up for that next year. <laughs> um, Why are those mummies riding with their kids? Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Kate, do you want to tell us if you can summarise your philosophy with horses? Look, I, I think really we need to have more faith in the horses. Mm-hmm. We need to listen to what they say to us when things aren't going well. I think so often we're into being tougher on them or harder on them if they don't behave the way we want them to. And I think what we need to look at doing is trying to communicate better with them through whatever means we think to make them into better companions for us. Mm -hmm. I think the worst thing we can do is have a horse that doesn't have good manners because it will never have a good life. I think if we can communicate well with them and make them into worthwhile animals to hang around with, then they become a joy for everybody to be with. Mm. And it's a better life for the horse as well. Yep. I think so often we have horses that are miserable about their lives because they keep getting in trouble 
And really, it's just because they speak some other language and we haven't tapped into being able to communicate well enough with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So I think my philosophy is to try and operate on the basis that I can help riders understand horses better. Yep. Yep. All right. And now, Kate, how can people contact you? Probably, at the moment, not very easily because I have no internet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But look, my mobile number is probably the best way to get hold of me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's on the EA website, but it's 0413-008824. So it's a pretty easy one. Yeah. It'll be on the Horse Chats website as well. It'll be under horsechats.com slash Kate O'Connor. Otherwise, go to horsechats.com and search for Kate. Yeah, and I look, I run body awareness clinics where we do a lot of on-the-ground work and balance boards and mm, talking mm. about rain tension and all of those things Brilliant. and then applying it on our horses and yeah. talking about all of those things. People tend to get a huge leap in their training if they attend one of those. Mm, mm. Often people will have lessons with their own coaches and come along to a body awareness clinic and then go back and I'll hear that things have improved enormously. Mm-hmm. And it's just because we've looked at something that we don't spend time on yep. very often. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's important. Okay. Hmm. And Kate, we might talk to you about coming back and talking a little bit more in depth then about the body awareness. That would be really good. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's okay. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon and thanks very much for your um, time today. Thanks, Bernice. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.